Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Yeah, you know what and who it is. It's Paul. I'm doing the second part of this audiobook. Maybe I shouldn't be taking that tone with this very serious uh, audiobook. But guess what? It's sci-fi, and the best compliment I ever got about this book is that it's written like a video game. And so it's like it's like a, a very serious video game where you're like shooting the people and the jello and all that. But at the same time, it's a video game. And so there's a level of fun involved in the seriousness. I don't know. But I hope you guys have been enjoying it. I'm doing some some new stuff with the audio, so let me know if you like that. Um, and if you do like it, let me know by uh, leaving a comment on all of our social medias or rating us on iTunes or sharing it with your pals. It really does help. Um, with that, please enjoy the second part of Siren Deep. When we last left our heroes... Uh, they were about to be converged upon by uh, six who-knows-what's-its. So please buckle your friggin' space seatbelts for Siren Deep Part 2. Siren Deep, an audiobook in four parts. By Paul Yoder, cover art by Rachel West. Authors Dozen intro music by Andy Luton. Siren Deep music by Carl Casey at... White Bat Audio. Chapter 13 The four squadmates turned to the forest of pillars at their rear. As one, they poured their energy into Elseflight and ran. Elseflight did not grant one the power of birds or maglevs. A practitioner still needed a ground to leap off of and a place to land. Asha didn't mind. Running with Elseflight felt like sprinting down the face of a cliff. Elseflight wasn't flight. Elseflight was better. Her shoes danced off the semi-porous ground of shell. The wise said that elsewhere was around, behind, and inside the world of humans. That gravity was a phenomenon not shared by all spheres of reality. A human could never leave entirely the physical world for elsewhere, but Elsemen could bring forth the elsewhere that was everywhere. The so-called five-fold game was the result. Humans knew of five aspects of elsewhere, each one weak against two others, and therefore strong against the other two. Flight, Asha thought. She pictured a mouse bolting for cover. She heard the sound of a popped balloon and imagined the fleeting taste of sugar. With agility no athlete could hope to match, Asha crouched midair before kicking against the shell as hard as she could. Asha's body flew off the ground at a 40-degree angle. They'd known shell's gravity. The simulations were, when it came to running and jumping, of startling accuracy. She'd nevertheless misjudged her leap and would pass too high over a shell structure resembling a clawed hand. Asha reduced her power and felt gravity return to her bones. She kept just enough else flight to soften her landing against her target. Asha grabbed on. 
The hand-like structure had many convenient holds, which Asha found the smallest bit funny. She looked back to the breach. The enemy's drop darts came in in pairs. They had two wings, but looked in every other way similar to the DDs Asha had flown. Who gave them our ship designs? Rook wondered. Whoever betrayed the orphan fleet, Wall, I guessed. Asha shook her head. Elstreams, Sovereign sent our ship designs. Sovereign did the same for Union. But why send us here to destroy each other? Rook asked. Hush, Quinn said. Let's answer the question at hand. Hit him in the air or on the ground. Wait until they land, Wall, I said. Make them think we ran. While they search, divide and conquer. All four of us, Rook agreed. Overwhelm one of the pairs and even the odds. The first of the enemy darts hit its rockets and shoots. Asha pictured herself in those two-winged darts, confident in her numbers and relishing an apparent ambush. She pitied her counterparts. The backward swooping wings tilted back at the last second, forming a tripod with the nose of the dart. The Union dart pilots ejected. Too hastily. Probably hoping to catch the no-doubt fleeing Kanatans. They charged toward the Forest of Pillars. Union, while well, I thought. Where kings fear to tread, fanatics rush in. On me, Rook thought. She sprang to the white breach ceiling. Against the bright glow of Shell's surface, the agile Rook was almost invisible. The others formed up behind her. Asha gripped the holes of the roof with all her might. Like a stone, Rook whispered. With a grin, she fell. They came down like meteors on a pair of dark-clothed male pilots. Rook and Quinn used else armor and else flight so as to come down light but firm. They caught the pilots by the neck and brought them to the ground. Asha and Walai split their energy between attack and flight. When they landed, they came with their swords. Asha put the whole of her weight into her blade. The enemy's else armor resisted for a little more than a second, then gave. The else blade drilled down into the man's heart. Like that, it was done. Asha had wondered if she would face any shock after her first kill. She felt nothing. It's even, while I said, be careful. Stop, shouted another Union pilot. He and his fellows were gathering in a defensive formation in the clearing ahead. You're surrounded. Clearly not, Rook said. Don't give him an inch. The orphan fleet had not expected to face enemies with elsewhere power. They had, however, trained for it. And stassed, Asha thought, falling into the tactics she'd studied all of her life. Every fighter in the orphan fleet is interchangeable, Ingford had said. When you meet an ally on Shell, you'll know everything about her. You'll know how to work in concert, know the theory behind her decisions, the hierarchy that makes her give orders or take them. You'll know the tools and techniques at her disposal. None of you are special. We don't want you to be. We can't build walls unless our bricks are uniform. Walleye had the command until C landed. That had never been in question. When Walleye thought, Fox. Her three underlings knew exactly what to do. Quinn took the left, Rook took the center, and Asha took the right. With Walleye behind the right side of the line as the last point of the letter F. They charged. All four used else armor and else blades. Both were weak against animation. Seeing as there was nothing to animate, the sword and armor technique was overpowered in their fivefold game. 
Their four enemies had a choice, to make a stand or flee. Else flight and dreams were weak against attack. Their only good choice was a stalemate. The pale faces of the Union troops hardened, and blades sprang up in their palms. They formed a line. Asha squared up with the leftmost Union man. She knew how to duel. She knew how to spot the man's strategy by footing and posture alone. She knew how his conservative posture would leave him open to maneuver. They crossed blades twice. Asha took a hard right and circled around him. The man tried to keep from being outflanked, and in the moment his legs crossed, Asha leapt forward and stabbed him in the chest. The man scrambled backward and his armor held. Asha kept up the pressure. He was bunched up with his comrades now so that they could barely swing their else blades without hitting one another. Out of the corner of her eye, Asha saw Quinn engaged in a duel with two soldiers at once. The man struggled to keep up. Rook and Walleye crashed into the remaining soldier as one. Asha's man lost his nerve. He took on the aspect of flight and jumped into the air. Asha grinned. Blaze, she said. She saw a star going supernova. She remembered the shock of coming into real space. Lost blood at the blade of a comrade. There was a new feeling ripe for the fire in Asha's soul. Her arm flashed, and a bolt of elsewhere shot from her left hand. The light of elsewhere was neither bright nor dark. It had no color or hue. It was, in fact, the absence of both light and dark, a glimpse of the world where there was no such thing as shadow or shade. The layer of reality that produced else blades and the blast now coming from Asha's palm was one so energetic that light was no longer the fastest thing. The bolt was faster than light. It broke the laws of reality. Against armored foes on the ground, this form of attack could be shrugged off. But the man was in else flight, and the blast sent him spinning. Asha hit him three more times. Disoriented, it didn't matter how well the man could fly. He plowed headfirst into the ground and lay there, limp and boneless. Surrender or die, Walleye shouted. There was no reply. The squad pressed on, now with numbers on their side. Asha tried not to grin. She had so much power, so much reserve. Be careful, while I thought. Asha closed on one of the men battling Quinn. Distracted, he took a hit from Quinn's blade once, twice. Then, when the third hit came in a perfect rhythm, the man's armor suffered a catastrophic breakdown. The thing that had been holding him sturdy now reversed. Cells ruptured under hypertension. Asha left him alone as a sheen of blood sweat began to run from his pores. The man was out of commission for the next minutes. Whether he would survive after that depended on his fortitude. The other two men went down fast, the first by Rook's blade and the other by his own. Asha watched with begrudging respect as the last man standing let down his armor, then scrambled his own brains with a palm blast. The fight had not gone well for Union, but... It seemed that there was at least one warrior in the bunch. Asha turned to the man covered in blood. To her disappointment, the man had surrendered to death. Her grin fell. Wait, Asha thought. Was I grinning? Two kills. Kids a natural, Rook said. The pilot wore the same grin as Asha and clapped her on the shoulder. Quinn looked to the sky. I'm not worried about the kid. Where's the child? Late. While I muttered, think they're dead? See. See, while I thought. See, where are you? 12K past the breach, C thought. The pilots looked at one another in confusion. Why? While I ventured. What do you mean, why? 
there was anger in C's thoughts. That's where you told us to go. Walleye replied quickly, but was unable to hide her tone of alarm. See, we didn't tell you anything. We're not in charge, you are. There was silence for a moment. I could have sworn. I heard it too, Hodney said. Rook was insistent. The others looked at Rook. The cocksure pilot only raised an eyebrow. I didn't say anything. I... I believe you, C said. This is bad. Somebody's running L streams on us. Someone who knows who Rook is. The four looked at one another. Asha felt Quinn's glare heavier than ever. We'll figure this out, C said. For now, we got to link up. OTCS 448. Asha nodded. She prepared to read back her own one-time call sign. Quinn made a silencing motion. Hush. She's got the right code, Asha said. That doesn't mean she's telling the truth. Why would she betray us? Hmm, Rook scowled. Well, somebody betrayed the orphan fleet. It's not about trust, Quinn muttered. It's about playing a losing hand as best we can. See, well, I thought. Would it be okay just to send you one CS? I... I see, C thought. After a moment's pause, she gave permission. While I nodded to the others, We've got a journey ahead of us. She looked up to the forest of pillars. Long and strange, I suspect. If things keep up the way they have been. Chapter 14 Asha had hoped to get used to Shell. Her hopes had, so far, been disappointed. The thing she liked best, the seeming freedom, was simultaneously a source of dread. Asha's leaps and bounds through the air gave her a sense of swimming through clouds. She had never been allowed to go this far and fast on cylinder. Simulations had made her familiar with the mechanics, but there was something primarily terrifying when those mechanics became reality. Her human form was not meant for this. Give it to me, whispered Els Asha. My Elsman is getting restless, Asha told Walleye. I haven't stopped using it since we got here. I'll stop us halfway, Walleye said. I'll tell the rest of them that it's me who needs the rest. I'll probably be telling the truth by then. You shouldn't, Asha said. Why not? Holding up the others for my comfort helps me assert my authority. You're coddling me. Perhaps I'm just counterbalancing Quinn. That made things seem a bit more fair. Asha kept her silence. She crouched against a pillar like a sprinter in the blocks, then straightened. She crossed the room like a rocket. She knew that falling to the floor would do her no harm, but her body still trembled with adrenaline. She plummeted, steadying herself in midair as best she could, she used her anxiety. Like a spring, she let the tension explode, releasing it like a thunderbolt, sudden, terrible. Another leap, another kilometer before long. At least we know the behemoth is dead, Rook noted. Nothing would get through this cage of pillars. Asha shivered at the name. I thought the behemoth was just speculation. The thing that called Shell home? Rook seemed to relish the fearful prospect. Well, something had to make shell. It's an elsewhere construct. 
You say elsewhere construct like it means something, like it's knowable. Name me one object this massive. Name me one other impenetrable object that shines with elsewhere light. Pentacor ice? Exactly. The capital of the galaxy formed by sovereignty. I can't name a single other. Can you? No. Asha cursed. She hadn't been paying attention to her jumps, fully missing a web of shell tendrils she'd ended up between three large shell outcroppings. She pumped her legs, desperately trying to turn her downward velocity into horizontal speed. It wasn't enough. Asha rolled ass over years and had to use else armor to keep from hurting herself. Thankfully, no one seemed to have noticed. All our information flows through Sovereign, while I noted. There might be uh, objects like this one. Many, in fact. We can only know what Sovereign wants us to know. Asha was about to spring away when she saw something in the valley, between the three outcroppings. It was moving. Rook seethed. What Sovereign wanted was for us to walk into a trap, apparently. Don't be so sure, Quinn thought. There was a traitor on our fleet. Still is, it seems. Well, again, why send two fleets? Guys, Asha said. There's a creature down here. Yeah, Rook said. There's veggies everywhere. I'm sure the anchorites... It's not an animal. Not one I recognize. The squad went quiet. Rook cursed. What would a Fellman be doing here? Let's get some distance until we know. While I sent the others a marker with L streams. Spread out, then meet 1k north. Asha nodded. She looked down at the strange creature grazing in the catch grass. The grass seemed not to satisfy, and the creature thumped at the ground with its fists. She'd never seen a Fellman in person, at least not one this evolved. This creature might simply be a creature native to Shell, but it looked too humanoid for comfort. It had arms and legs with one too many joints, so that its every step looked like a rickety balancing act. Yet the creature was quick and light on its wrinkled half-ton frame. The longer Asha watched, the more she was sure that this fallen creature was a former human, possessed by an Elseman. The creature was tapped into the power of elsewhere, but that power came with a terrible hunger. It wants to eat me, else Asha thought. I'll try to avoid that, Asha thought. It'll have to eat me to eat you, after all. You're so kind. To myself, especially, Asha thought. Asha took the long way around the Fellman. Her new power was not yet enough for a creature like that. A new dread was added to the old. Fellmen were not an island. They were an alpha predator in a larger, elsewhere-powered ecosystem. Where there was one Fellman, there were sure to be more. So many questions, Elsasha said. The answer is all the same. It was, seemingly, the only answer Elsasha knew. Power. Chapter 15 The four looked up at the designated meeting place. I thought the anchorites were peaceful, Rook said. What lay before them was quite clearly a defensive structure. A small mesa loomed overhead, commanding an unobstructed view of the surrounding plain. Crowning the mesa was a man-high wall, 
and a lone watchtower. Part of said wall had already collapsed. What had collapsed it was unclear. The anchorites are peaceful when it suits them, and warlike when it suits them, while I sighed. It wasn't their peace that took my eye, that's for sure. Anchorites aren't a single school, Asha recounted. Some think that the best way out from under Sovereign is by force. Some think that passive resistance is the only option. Quinn nodded. When, in reality, there is no option. Rook nodded. So, should we go up or wait for C? While I looked from the fortification to the plains beyond. If there's something up there, we don't want to give them a clear shot at the problem, child. Quinn shook her head. This is a bad spot for a rendezvous. We should. There's no good spot, so far as I can tell. While I nodded to the mesa. Let's give it a look. Asha and Walleye took one cliff face, while the others circled around the back. Asha readied herself for a clean jump to the top. How do you suppose Anchorites got up without power? They attacked our fleet off Ares without Elsman. Almost one, too. Walleye pointed to the fortification. Don't underestimate those without access to elsewhere. They often find power from somewhere else, and are stronger for it. You showed me a vision of that battle, a memory. Who... who was that person in your arms? The dying one? Asha blushed. Yes. Who was it for you? My best friend. Likewise. I'm sorry. That I had a best friend? While I grinned and winked, though, with only one eye, it might have been a blink. Do you know why I showed you that memory? Asha nodded. To get me ready for war. While I shook her head. You can't be ready for war. Did you see said best friend after the vision? Yeah. Ready to jump, thought Rook. Asha thought for a moment. I think I understand. I hope so. While I crouched down. Sometimes it takes losing something, permanently, to make us realize what we had when we had it. Asha crouched beside her. While I gave the command, and they jumped. As if by design, the mesa was just a few meters taller than Asha could clear with a single bound. Instead, she found one of the pores on the shell, dug in her foot, and jumped again. She caught what her second jump had aimed for, a vine snaking off of the mesa, and rode the plant like a catapult up the watch shower. She changed her aspect to armor, both for protection and for ballast, and came down hard on the watchtower's platform. The structure swayed beneath her for a moment, creaking with rot. She froze. When the tower stopped moving, Asha started. She crawled to the edge of the platform and looked down. The mesa was a circle less than 50 meters in diameter. Much of that space was dedicated to vine-covered trellises which formed the walls and roof of a dilapidated building. The three pilots swept through the building as Asha watched. She could see the rationale behind the anchorite construction. Stone and metal were plentiful on shell, but any space debris that landed here had disintegrated into base minerals upon impact with the surface. Shell was formed of the same stuff as the Sovereignty Capital Fleet of Pentacore Ice, indestructible and inert, save its ability to radiate strange light from elsewhere. 
what matter shell contained was loose and largely hidden within its pores and tunnels. Catchgrass and vines readily fastened to the surface, with long roots that plumbed hidden reservoirs within Shell's frame. Found something, Rook said. Asha, on me. Asha put herself to flight, dancing off the watchtower to the ground below. The others were circled around the hole in the shell. It was three feet wide and bright, but when Asha peered inside, she could only see five meters down before it curved to one side, making it impossible to see deeper. It's a hole, Asha observed. A cistern, Rook corrected. She nodded to a nearby bucket attached to a rope. The rope seemed longer than the mesa was tall. Somebody could survive up here for weeks. If you run out of food, you could just eat your roof and walls. Quinn held up a finger. Quiet. The others obeyed. After a moment, Quinn nodded to herself. Noises. Yeah, Rook said. Echoes. Not ours. The others looked at one another. Walleye cleared her throat. <clears throat> I don't hear anything, but if there's something down there... We need all the info we can get, Rook said. She took a deep breath. Aye. Let me go down, Asha said. The others looked up at her. Asha patted herself on the head. I can fit better than any of you. Smaller. Let me. I need to make up for what I did. Rook raised an eyebrow. She turned to Quinn. What she did? Quinn kept her eyes on Asha. Dropped us in atmosphere. On Ingford's orders. Rook looked back at Asha. Figured. I'm glad it wasn't your call. Would have appreciated a heads up, though. Let me go, Asha said. While I thought for a moment, then nodded. Whatever we do, let's do it now. She pointed to the bucket. The rope is still wet. Asha grinned. Alive, while I said, I want it alive. Asha nodded. Steadfast, she thought. With her armor complete, Asha stepped into the well. Chapter 16 The sides of the tunnel would have scraped Asha bloody as she fell. Armored as she was, the only tears Asha felt were of her jumpsuit. The cistern had the grip of rough cement. Asha couldn't fall, but had to push her way down. She was immediately overcome with a sense of constriction. The tunnel began to narrow as she descended. That fact, coupled with the steep decline and growing sense of uncertainty, made Asha's blood run to her cheeks. She could hear the blood flowing through her skull, each heartbeat followed by a strange whooshing noise that grew in the increasing silence. Her breathing drowned it all out when she finally dared to breathe around 12 yards into the tunnel. She groaned, suddenly realizing that she'd have to navigate this tunnel in reverse when, or if, she reached the bottom. Asha was about to call the rope up when she felt her feet flailing in the air. Given the sensory deprivation of the tunnel, it was a strangely disorienting feeling. She kicked again, and her lower calf made contact with some kind of rounded edge. I'm feeling a drop, she thought to the others. I might need a quick exit. Then she heard it. She hadn't doubted that there was someone or something in this cistern, but hadn't really grasped the fact. The sound of shallow breathing changed all that. Asha moved as quick as she knew how. 
She pushed off and fell into the empty air without a second thought. She fell for a quarter of a second, then hit the ground at an awkward angle. Her body curled up on the ground like fallen rope, then rolled down into a chest-high pool of water. The cave was bright with elsewhere energy, and the water glowed like a noonday sun. Something dropped onto her. Two arms wrapped around her waist, two legs pressed down over her chest. The arms and legs were clothed with rough fabric. A man. He was trying to drown her. Asha felt a moment of panic. Her face, though armored, was pressed firm against the gravel at the bottom of the pool. Armor did nothing for her lungs. She could drown as easily as any other creature. Then she remembered her power. Unshaken, she thought. A quick math equation ran through her head. She acknowledged water. She understood it inside and out. She knew the property that made water what it was, what made it liquid, solid, or gas. Animation was a skill only grasped by those with certainty. The smallest vagary in one's understanding of an element would let that element slip away. The smallest mistaken notion regarding a chemical or compound would allow the thing to remain itself, to remain static and constant. Water was the first animation Asha had learned. It was a constant of life. Dance, she told the water. Asha was still half-armored. The water began to move. The molecules became excited and therefore warm. Suddenly, there was a current, a wave, a movement. Asha heard splashing. She heard the surprised cry of her assailant. Asha's body righted itself. She gasped the air, but accidentally sucked down a thimble or two of burning water. Her body was resilient with else armor, but only partially so, so that she knew exactly half of the heat her opponent was facing. The man screamed. He pawed at the water, unsure now of which way was up. Asha pushed herself to the edge of the water. She released her animating power over the liquid, which was steaming like a mug of tea. Light danced from beneath the bubbling surface. It framed a man in baggy, frayed clothing. He righted himself, gasped, then swam to the surface opposite of Asha. She thought for a moment that the man was trying to escape. Then she realized that there were two others in the room. Across the pool, huddled in a crevice in the wall, sat a woman with similar frayed clothes. She was turned away from Asha, trying to hide the bundle pressed up against her chest. There was no hiding it. That was a baby. The first Asha had ever seen. The man crawled out of the water. As soon as he had ground under him, he turned to Asha. His face was thin and pale, like the Union pilot's. Where the Union troops had black manes, however, his hair was red and wavy. The woman was his polar opposite, with a dark complexion and bright yellow hair. The child at her breast was a mix between the two. The man's huge eyes were fixed on Asha. The else light danced in the disturbed, steaming water. Water mixed with spit and dripped down his enormous beard. Need help? asked Quinn, in a bored tone of thought. No. Asha thought back. Her own tone was perfunctory. She hoped the others thought that she was just being defensive. The man looked down at the water, then back at Asha. He and the woman shared a quick glance. Asha realized that she'd been staring in silence. Can you hear me? She thought at him. The man shivered. He looked to his wife, then 
tapped the side of his skull. He looked back at Asha and nodded. I need one of you, Asha said. One of you, alive. The man blinked. He took a long, silent breath, then nodded again. The baby's no use to me. The mother can stay with it. Her, the man thought back. It was Asha's turn to blink in surprise. She calmed herself. She had opened her mind to him. He could, of course, talk back, if he wished, though she had not expected anchorites to know how to organize thought speech. Your daughter? Asha asked. The man nodded. Asha pointed to the tunnel above their heads. Then she pointed to the man. The woman began to shake her head. There were tears in her eyes. I'm sorry, Asha told the man. It's the only way. The man took a deep breath. Will I see them again? I don't know. The man rubbed his eyes with his hands. He ran his palms down his face to wipe away the water. Asha didn't see tears, though, perhaps only because his eyes were already bloodshot and wet from their struggle. The man looked back at his wife one more time. He mouthed something. The woman wept in silence. Asha felt something other than sorrow from the mother. It was an emotion that, for Asha, had no name. The thin man rose to his feet. He nodded to Asha as a rope descended from above. I hope you'll understand if I don't thank you, he said. I don't require gratitude, Asha said. Only obedience. Asha cut off her L-streaming before the man could detect her shame. She came here to kill these people. Now, she was, in some ways, under the thin man's power. Chapter 17 With a man on one's back, flying was not an option. No matter how light Asha got, the anchorite was still very much attached to the phenomenon of gravity. The others policed his climb down. The rope used for the cistern had apparently been the only way in and out of the Mesa Fortress. They tied the rope around him and lowered him into Walleye's waiting arms, grunting all the while. You gave him a burn, Rook noted. Asha nodded. You turned out to be more capable than we gave you credit for. Rook smiled up at Quinn. Bet you're glad you didn't kill her yet. Quinn said nothing. Asha felt a tickling sensation in her shoulder. The cut she'd received from Quinn's blade was immeasurably thin. Quinn could have killed her, had she wanted to. Asha had seen top duelists fight two opponents to a standstill. She'd never seen an outnumbered fighter land a harmonic triple like Quinn had. Asha did not like Quinn. That didn't mean she wasn't happy to have Quinn on her side, rather than the other way around. Got him, Walleye said. He's being very cooperative. Being very smart, you mean. Rook released the rope, then looked to the horizon. And to nobody's surprise... Late come the latecomers. Asha followed Rook's eye. Asha had never seen the problem child outside of its egg. She could see why. It was the ugliest and least aerodynamic lander she'd ever seen. But what surprised her most was its speed. The vehicle resembled two metal hands welded back to back. Each of the hands had six tentacle-like structures. The bottom hand scrambled along the ground each of its insect fingers ending in a blur of spinning tentacles. 
The top hand held in its vice-like grip a bundle of familiar-looking metal shards. It's carrying wreckage, Asha said. Why? Rook nodded. It's... Bull-fed hounds never learn to hunt, Quinn said. She hopped off the cliff, then began to float down. Asha watched her go. What's her problem? Rook shrugged. Not sure. She's tough on everyone, herself included. Asha nodded. Well, how do you deal with her? Rook raised her chin and barked a single, Ha! She activated her flight, then danced off the edge. Who says she needs to be dealt with? Asha sighed, then followed her down. Quinn is your competition, Elsa Asha said. She doesn't need another reason to hate you. I'm not her competition, Asha thought. I'm her ally. Oh, just like Union and Kanat are allies? Asha hadn't considered that. Union and Kanat were both under the authority of sovereignty. They'd both come on the Exile Rift, which meant that sovereignty had sent them both. Sovereignty pit us against one another. Our interests and Quinn's won't always align. Be careful, that's all I'm saying. Asha landed. I'll be careful with you too, Elsman. You want to control me. I can't control you unless you want me to. I also can't control you if you're dead. Good point. When she reached the ground, Asha had to stare up at the problem child. The chassis alone was eight feet tall, not counting the long, slender fingers. These tendrils, without the aid of joints in their solid metal construction, bent gradually to let the problem child rest against shell. A hexagonal doorway emerged from its flush frame and became a ramp. C strode down, a grim look in her eyes. You call me an anchorite? C asked. All of us, yes, Walleye said with a grin. She gestured to the red-headed man. We tied him with vines. I'd still keep your guard up around him, though. Interesting, Hodney murmured. She slipped past C and examined the thin man. It has nothing to do all day but gather food. Why is it so thin? There was silence. Asha could not answer without appearing suspicious. The man was thin because he had been hunting and gathering food for three. To her surprise, the answer came from Quinn. He didn't seem to have gotten out often. She pointed to the mesa. Whatever led him up there must have made it difficult to come down. The Fellman, Rook said. They can move as fast as we do. Faster. We'll be careful. C took a deep breath. It's a relief to see you all. I was having a tough time believing you were even alive until I got Walla's code. The man gave a small yelp. The squad turned to see Hodney pinching a spot on his arm. What was that for? Walla asked. To check, Hodney muttered. He hasn't been using else armor. He has the nerves of someone who believes injury to be a serious possibility. The four pilots looked at one another in confusion. All eyes turned to see who lowered her head in dismay. We found another anchorite. When I left the problem child to capture him, he fought back. So did this one, Rook noted. The anchorite I met had power, C scowled. Elsewhere, power. Chapter 18 A normal ship was all of one kind. Great care was put into the purity of a ship's metal so that the animating force could be used to enact the exact image in the animator's mind. 
The problem child had two natures. The top and bottom halves were made of slightly different metals, allowing the two to be operated independently. The anchorite sat in the corner of the cabin. Hodney pressed her hand against the bottom half of the ship and began to animate the metal. A wrist-sized tube of metal emerged from one wall and curved over the anchorite's waist. It merged with the opposite wall, trapping the man in an immovable belt. With the prisoner secured, Hodney set the ship moving. Its scuttling was smooth, carried by its spinning tentacled feet, but the occasional change in height and momentum kept Asha on edge. She and the others rested on the floor while Quinn took to lounging on the wall-mounted cot. If the person you met had elsewhere power, he was not an anchorite, Rook said. He was. C nodded to the prisoner. He wore the same clothing, kept the same beard. Rook countered. If the person you met was an anchorite, he didn't have elsewhere power. I can assure you he did. C looked to the porthole at the front of the vehicle. Skilled animators like Hodney could feel their way across the ground through proprioception of their ship. Even so, four bulletproof windows allowed for views of the outdoors and could be moved about or masked completely by the shifting metal hull. C pointed to a sharp peak of shell ahead, which ran from the ground to the roof. He bounded up that mountain, like he weighed less than air. Rook shook her head. Can you show us? We were piloting the problem child at the time. C nodded to Hodney. She might be able to record memories while animating, but I can't. Didn't, Hodney droned. She closed her eyes and focused on the ship. What does this mean? Wall I said. I hate to agree with Rook, but what you're saying is impossible. The man must have been a disguised Union scout. C stared at Wall I. Are you doubting our judgment? Wall I frowned. No, C, I'm offering my assessment. Well, you weren't there, were you? I wasn't. While I spread her hands, conciliatory. But you yourself claimed that someone was interfering in our L-streams. You heard something from Rook that she didn't say. I doubt someone could make me imagine what I saw. Yes, and I'll keep my mind open to the possibility. The possibility that I saw what I... C stopped mid-sentence. She frowned, as if engaged in private thought speech. C? Quinn asked. Sorry. C said. It's just, it changes everything if it's true. Yes, while I admitted, all power flows from sovereign. The sovereignty may pass from one person to another, but it's always sovereign and always the wellspring of humanity. If power could come from another source, the anchorites would be the ones looking for it. C made a sweeping motion. Why do you think they settled here? This strange, unprecedented object made a material that only sovereign can make, what if the Anchorites found another wellspring? If they did, Rook said, we'd have to plug it up. She had a deadly serious tone. She pointed to the peak ahead. Why are we going that way? Shouldn't we be searching for other Kanatans? C nodded to the Anchorite prisoner. You did well in finding this man. Other survivors from the orphan fleet will be happy to have him. But I know I'm right. I know I saw an Anchorite with elsewhere abilities. What if you're not... Wall I asked. If I'm not, it's like you said, and I saw a Union Scout. C shook her head. I want this creature. He's the answer to one mystery or another. Where are the Anchorites? 
What is this place, and why in blazes did sovereignty sacrifice us to union? You haven't asked about why we dropped in danger close, Quinn muttered. C blinked. But you already told me. She raised an eyebrow at Asha. My mother put you up to it. Asha nodded. She couldn't remember telling C, but the others might have. Is that cut on your jumpsuit from Quinn? C asked. Asha nodded. Did Ingford give you any other orders? Asha shrugged. She wanted us to get in a good position in case there was a second fleet. Seems convenient, Quinn said. C scowled up at her. I didn't like my mother, but I'd hardly call her situation convenient. Only a few of us were going to make it to the surface. Only a few of us got this huge reserve of power. Quinn glanced down at the others. We've been working for a full ten hours. Did you realize that? Asha's head spun. No. She looked to see who nodded in agreement. We've been running and fighting without pause for a full metric day. Quinn closed her eyes. We should be dead from exhaustion. We should be begging our Elsemen for relief. We're more powerful than we have any right to be. And why? Because Ingford saw the future. Because someone knew that Union would be out there waiting for us. And they knew that all the power would go to our scouting parties. How is that convenient? Rook asked. We have more endurance, not more strength. If someone wanted to betray the fleet, they'd be in the forward scouting party. They'd be one of us. Walleye glanced at the others. I don't know who could surrender the entire fleet for a little extra endurance. The room was silent for a long while. I would, thought Elsasha. I'd sacrifice the lot of them. Asha blinked with a sudden realization. The fleet, she murmured. Looking up, she met C's puzzled eyes. We need to check in with the fleet. That'll open our minds to Union, C countered. It might tell them where we are, what we know. Well, it doesn't matter what we know, Asha said. She pointed to the anchorite prisoner. He doesn't know a thing. Chapter 19 After an hour's journey, and not always in the same direction, the problem child halted and prepared their go-between. There was a problem with the plan, however, that none of the others knew. It was my idea, Asha said. You're the weakest at L-streaming, Hodney said. Her lack of tact was almost worse than Quinn's hostility. I already interfaced with him, Asha said. He trusts me. Really? Rook chirped. Didn't he try to kill you? Doesn't matter, Quinn said. Let her try it. Asha looked to Quinn, surprised at the vote of confidence. Quinn noted her shock. The anchorite shared thoughts with Asha. The enemy will know that she's still alive. Asha understood. She looked to see. I'm not on the problem child's crew. Not officially. The only person who knew is... She realized what she'd been saying and stopped. C grinned. Do you know how mothering Enfred was, Asha? Asha hung her head. C huffed. Stop that. She might as well have been a disembodied womb so far as I was concerned. You're more her daughter than I ever was. Sounds like we're agreed, while I muttered. Let's get started. Way ahead of you. Asha turned to the anchorite. I've been telling him what we need and what we'll do if we don't get it. She sat cross-legged before his single-barred prison and looked him in the eye. Get ready, she thought. The anchorite sighed. I'm tired. Do you know what would happen if we told them about your family? The man rolled his eyes. 
You'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? And then they'd go kill them. The man nodded. That's been made clear. If you fail, I can take more than your life. I'll try. I didn't mention trying, Anchorite. Fail, and the worst will happen. Anchorite? The man grinned with half-closed eyes, as if he knew something Asha didn't. You can call me Rat, and you don't know what worst means. Nevertheless, Rat turned his dark eyes toward the sky. Asha closed her eyes. She listened to every thought that crossed Rat's mind. I'm listening, Rat thought. You must be afraid of what's up there. It's us who have power over your family. What's up there doesn't. For now. Rat's smile was gone. He turned his palms toward the heavens. Union, he said. Another planet. Rat shouldn't have known that Union existed. That he did meant that he was, at this very moment, in contact with the enemy fleet. Union wasn't a planet, however, but a star system. A mistake easily made by a man with Rat's understanding of the universe. Union had five habitable planets and was, according to underground news, one of those worlds who served Sovereign as the one true god. Keep going, Asha urged. She felt fear in Rat. They have five world ships. Rat envisioned the vessels, but his vision didn't match what Asha had seen in space. He had a vivid picture of five ring-shaped ships arriving on Shell. Asha realized that he was remembering the generation ship that must have brought the Anchorites here. What about the orphan fleet? Asha asked. Well, they want you to come back, Rat thought. They're terrified. Why? They kill five each hour, Rat thought. One for each of the scouting parties that haven't returned. Five people. You could save one life each hour if you returned. That's their offer. Asha's mind began racing. What do they want us for? For power. But why are they here? Asha asked. Why did they attack Sovereign's troops? They... Rat paused. They say that Sovereign's will is unknown. They say that Sovereign is playing games with both fleets. They must be crazy. We were here to wipe out the Anchorites. The Anchorites are already dead, Rat thought. Then, like a trap, Rat's mind closed to Union. Asha's eyes snapped open. What happened, she thought. Why did you cut them off? Because they think the Anchorites are dead, Rat thought. His eyes were wide and wild. They can't know about me, about the others. I told you not to worry about Union. Rat broke eye contact. Are you listening to me? Asha asked. Her thinking speech flowed out of her without energy. Rat wasn't listening. He'd cut himself off from Melstreams, and some part of Asha was glad of that. She stood up and formed a circle with the others to explain the situation. Fortunately, the resulting uproar was more than enough to keep them from asking why Rat had stopped talking. Five people every hour, Rook said. That's happening now. It's been happening since we landed, while I murmured. If they're telling the truth. If Union isn't running some kind of interference. We have thousands aboard Cylinder. Hodney stated the fact, as though the human beings on Cylinder were chips for gambling. They have no power to fight back. We do. Fight back? Rook hissed. We can't fight Union. We have, apparently, five ships on Shell. Five. A person will die every hour, based on what we do, Walleye noted. 
She looked at C. It's your call, of course. My call? C gave a contemplative scowl. I don't see how it is. We have to stay down here. Rook blinked in shock. What? Hodney answered for her. The anchorite with elsewhere powers. There is no anchorite with elsewhere powers. C glared down at Rook. Cool your steam, Marine. A person is dying right now because of some hunch. It doesn't matter, Quinn said. Rook and C looked to the duelist. Both seemed to hope that Quinn would back up their argument. Quinn spoke with a firm, mothering tone. If even one of the five scout groups stays on shell, the killing never stops. It'll slow, Rook insisted. Once they started killing prisoners, it was over. Quinn pointed to the sky. They'll kill every last person they captured. Once they have what they want from us, the orphan fleet will be thousands of people who just lost family to those in power. Thousands of assassins and terrorists trained for war, too. The reason any of our people are still alive is because Union has a use for them. Asha understood. If all five teams return, that use vanishes. C turned to Asha. Do you think Union knows who you were? Asha shook her head. Wouldn't matter if they did. I'm supposed to be in the reserves. Rook lowered her eyes. Aye. It's a good impulse, Wall I said. But Quinn's right. Quinn had been more right more often than Asha cared to admit. She looked up at the tall, dark woman and wondered why Quinn seemed to understand the enemy better than anyone else in the room. C shook her head. Union Scouter Anchorite, I want that man on the mountain. I want him alive. Chapter 20 Asha's dreams, though vague, bore strange intensity, and she woke more exhausted than before his sleep. She and the others woke to a refreshing shower. They had assumed precipitation on shell due to the abundance of plant life. Asha had not expected the light, steady rain that came. Hodney theorized it to be some kind of capillary action, though on a scale too large for humans to grasp through guesswork alone. The others stripped down for a quick wash, and Asha followed suit. The others didn't look at her, but didn't ignore her either. Asha did likewise. She retrieved her uniform from Hodney and was eager to dress more from some abstract feeling of vulnerability than embarrassment. Unclothed in this strange world, Asha was forced to reconnect with her creatureliness. She was an animal. An animal with power, yes, but one who meant to hunt and capture a man of equal strength. Hodney handed Rook a metal circlet. Raj Brainbuster, if you get this over his head, he'll have to stop using elsewhere power. Now we'll be in twos, C told the pilots. Rook and Walleye on the right, Quinn and Ash on the left. Hod and I and the PC will flush the guy down the hill toward U4. Try and knock him out. Rook isn't to approach him until he's incapacitated. Asha considered saying something, but Quinn beat her to the punch. Captain. Yes? I can handle myself. Asha should protect the problem, child, if we lose that. Noted Quinn, but denied. Asha stays with you. Quinn nodded. She kept her eyes on C, as though Asha wasn't present. They took a quick breakfast and went their separate ways. The problem child began stalking up the mountain, in reality an island-sized stalactite of the shell material, and generally tried to rake the mountain's long grass and scrawny trees for any sign of their prey. Quinn took a seat on a patch of grass. Her eyes stayed fixed on the peak ahead. 
Asha, meanwhile, took a seat on a molar-shaped shell formation. She turned over some dirt with her feet and studied the small larva responsible for the quick disappearance of dead plant matter. They terraform more than we thought, Asha said. A few more decades and they might have had animals the size of cats and dogs. Quinn showed no signs of hearing Asha's words. Asha clenched and unclenched her fist. What's wrong? asked Elsasha. Asha sighed. Normally, Asha didn't appreciate having to share her skull with an Elseman and kept her powers off for privacy. However, Asha had to keep the Elstreams open for squad communication. Seeing as there was no one else to talk to and that not talking was difficult for a thought-reading Elseman, Asha obliged. What's wrong is that Quinn is a shit shy of giving a shit about me. Ah, Elsasha thought. You know, you'd almost prefer open hostility. That would at least give us something to fight against. Exactly. Asha shook her head. Well, not us, per se. Just tell her that you know what she's up to. But she doesn't care. Make her care. How? Well, she cared when she thought you put the squad in danger. Asha smiled. Interesting. So, Asha said, you're too cool to care about anything, huh? Quinn was silent. I actually think that's super lame. Cowardly, even. I think you hide behind impassivity, like armor. Quinn closed her eyes. She looked ready to say something, but didn't. Asha sighed. She looked up to the mountain. Its face was forty degrees steep and so large that the problem child was nothing but a speck in the distance. Wallace well, said that you used to be like me, Asha said. She grinned to herself. Is that why you don't like me? Ten years younger and there's still light in my eyes? I get it. It must be infuriating. Quinn smiled. Her eyes were half-closed and drawn to some far distance. It was a look of a private memory. Asha leaned back against her elbows and looked up at the shell above. Seems counterproductive to me, making people think you hate them, being cold. There's nothing I could say to make you think otherwise, Quinn replied. Asha grinned. She'd gotten Quinn to speak, at least. Well, you could try. Quinn was silent. Why don't you try? Asha asked. Quinn was silent. Heads up. C's thought speech was quick and commanding. Dark mail, threadbare clothes, flying your way. Asha and Quinn stood. They scanned the mountainside. Low to the ground, while I said. Asha looked down. She saw him. The man was moving fast, but not as fast as he might have. Armored and flying, Asha said. All else stream, Quinn said. You attack. Got it. Asha put all of her power into her right arm. Fully else-armored, her opponent might have deflected Asha's beams back at her with devastating consequence. Fully flying, the man might have overcome the deception now coming his way. Split between the two aspects, however, the man's defenses were only halfway up. Quinn pulled her hair back with clawed fingers. Asha watched as the world changed. The landscape turned. Trees and shell structures moved to one side, then the other, the shell over their heads turned in an opposite direction. Asha concentrated on her attack. Strong against deception, aggression allowed her to see through the lies in Quinn's head. I do care. For a moment, Asha thought that the words had come from Elsasha. She realized then that the effort of deceiving their prey had opened Quinn's mind to Asha's hostile stance. 
It's only a second, Asha thought. Let me look deeper. Instead of concentrating on the fleeing prey, Asha peered into Quinn's defenseless mind. The emotion came. Quinn's thoughts came all at once. Asha felt as if she were trying to drink a tidal wave. The knowledge of Quinn knocked her back, sent her sprawling. Pure, unfettered connection was too much for Asha. She turned away. The flying man careened into an arch of shell material. Half-armored, he fell back, half-dazed. Asha cursed. She was too late. She poured herself into an else beam. She held nothing back. If she missed now, the man would get away. Yes, Elsasha screamed. Everything. The bolt that shot from Asha's hands was like nothing she'd ever seen, much less done. The foothills of the mountain erupted with light from elsewhere, gray light that sapped color and leached white. The light caught the man. Blinded by his afterimage, Asha witnessed the very moment that his clothes had been burned away. The very moment that his body had been caught in a shockwave that evaporated leaves and exploded wood to splinters. Asha cut off the attack. She heaved, desperate for air. Her body was sapped of life. Give it to me, Elsasha cooed. Take a bit more power. You'll never feel weak again. No, Asha thought. She fell to one knee, wobbled, then lost consciousness. Though she could think nothing, see nothing, hear or feel nothing, she could still witness what followed through the thoughts of her comrades, like an echo. What the blazes was that? Asha. Is she dead? Fallen? No, sleeping. The man. He's getting up. Not unscathed, he's not. Now's the chance. Rook, be careful. Careful. Every hour another person dies. Rook, he's down. He's... All fights in sin, in siren deep. All lines that send in siren deep. Chapter 21 The first thing Asha saw when she opened her eyes was Walleye. Her turban and eye patch were smeared with blood. She spoke clear and slow. I want you to know something. What happened was not your fault. Not even a bit of it. Asha blinked. Her body felt withered like smoked meat. Rook threw her life away. Walleye's gaze was steady and sharp. Rook disobeyed orders. Asha closed her eyes. Rook? Dead. How? Asha tried to rub feeling back into her face. She felt as though she'd been asleep for days. I hit the guy with all my strength. He was almost fully armored, while I said, almost. Had it been full, a blowback would have killed you. Instead, it concussed you both. Asha looked around her. They were back in the problem child. The ship was moving, though to where, Asha couldn't tell. There was one less soldier, and there was no prisoner to take her place. But... We're currently running away from him, C said. We're not sure if he's chasing, but we're running all the same. He went fell. While I nodded. It wasn't Union, C said. Union worships Sovereign. Say what you will about Union, they'd never turn to Fellman. Nobody would, Asha muttered. Nothing but hunger forever. While I sighed. Some people want things so badly that they're willing to become want. There was a voice. Quinn spoke out from a lofted cot. All finds its end in Siren Deep. 
Asha resisted the urge to cry. I'm sorry. Walleye shook her head. You did nothing wrong. You got overzealous, C said. That might have saved the rest of us. That said, we also had to drag you to the problem, child. Don't let it happen again. Quinn. Walleye thought. Asha blinked. What? C looked to Asha with a raised eyebrow. I said, don't let it happen. She had a concussion. Walleye said. She was probably not listening very well. While I met Asha's eyes, the person who carried you to the ship, she thought, that was Quinn. Well, that's her duty, Asha thought back. So it is, while I thought. I could have saved Rook, thought else Asha. If you'd only... Asha shook her head, cutting herself off from power. The wise had gifted them their power, but that gift strengthened Else Asha and Else Asha's personality. This is why they don't give power to just anyone, Asha thought. I have to be strong. I have to rule it. Where are we going now? Asha asked. We're not the only team on Shell, C replied. We learned that from the Anchorite. It's time we reached out to the others. Asha looked to the Anchorite named Rat. Could we use Rat? Rat, C asked. She looked to the haggard redhead. Is that his name, or is that the name you gave him? Well, it's Rat in our language. I don't know what it is in his. Walleye grinned. She looked and pointed to the anchorite. Once she had his attention, she made one hand walk across the ground on four fingers, then wiggled her thumb as the tail. Rat frowned. Walleye pointed to him again, then made a mouse-like squeak with her teeth. Rat, she said, repeating the gesture. Rat nodded. Rat, Walleye said. The next stage in terraforming probably included the introduction of rats. To this man, rat is probably a more noble title than it would be to us. Well, don't go teaching him words, C muttered. Yeah, I think he'd be useful. He can put out a signal as well as receive one. I'll get to work, Asha said. Think, while I said. You aren't supposed to be down here. The other scouts might think you were sent by Union, a double agent to lure Kanatans from their hiding place. C nodded. Walla, you're on. Walla, Asha said. She couldn't hide the panic in her voice. There's something you should know. The man wasn't alone in the cistern, I said. Asha blinked in surprise. The hard, independent types on this ship think the man is weak. I turned from Asha to the prisoner. They don't see what's in the man's eyes. He's here for a reason, for others. He didn't give himself to save himself. You guessed, Asha thought. It's because of that person in your vision, the one you lost. Maybe. What's that mean? Walleye shook her head. Now get out of my head. I need it. The older woman and Rat locked eyes. There was a weary part of Asha that was grateful for that. She closed her eyes and let the problem child rock her back to sleep. The first thing Asha saw when she opened her eyes was Dawn. No, Dawn said. You're not dreaming. Alright, that's the end of part two of Siren Deep. So, I was uh, consulting with K.M. Wyland, who does a much more focused and better writing podcast called Helping Writers Become Authors. And uh, I said, hey, what's, what's the best thing for me when I'm starting this project? She said, consistency. That's key. It's the most important thing. People are looking for you to, you know, come out at a specific time and date and everything. And 
They are looking for fairly consistent interaction and reactions and whatnot. And guess what? I haven't been doing that because, frick, I'm writing a book a month. But I am super going to be trying to get this entire book out this coming weekend, which is July 1st. And instead of making the normal plugs, I'm going to read a little excerpt from a poem I like about America. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet. And yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me. Who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again. So call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again. America. Oh yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me. And yet I swear this oath. America will be. Off of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we the people must redeem. The land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the endless plain, all all the stretch of those great green states, and make America again. Langston Hughes, link in the description. Have a good one. Love you. Bye.